Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Alan Parry podcast. And on this episode, I'm going to be talking to Alan Donahoe, who is a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker. And I'm going to be talking to Al because he's a filmmaker who's in his 20s and he's actually put together an entire feature film. And when I say he's put it together, let me go through this. He was the writer, he was the director, he was the lead actor, and he was the producer. And all of this film was actually put together without any industry support. So they didn't have financial backing from the industry, they got it from their own fans. And I'm such a big advocate of artists actually going out and making their work happen that I really, really wanted you to hear how Alan had gone through this really gargantuan effort in terms of putting an entire feature film together without the level of professional support that people normally have and doing it at such such a young age as well. So I won't go on any further except to say that I think that the film industry is probably the hardest thing to do this in. So if Alan can do it, then hopefully you'll find it inspiring so that you can make your own dreams, your own art and creativity happen in your life too. So without further ado, I know you're going to enjoy this, a really inspiring interview with Alan Donahoe. Hi Al, it's good to have you on the show. I'm, I'm really pleased that you agreed to come on because I think you're a um, creator in one of the more difficult aspects of the creative arts, which is filmmaking and and you've actually successfully independently made a film so I mean I know some of the background to that because we've had the odd little chat I don't know the full story by any means but could you kind of just um let the listeners know in your own words you know where we're where we're kind of up to and what you've done okay well thank you for having me to start with um where where we're up to uh okay well Basically, we, we made a movie. Um, I, I studied film and TV in university, struggled to get some work after university, got the odd runner job. And while out of work, uh, me and a friend of mine, we just sort of started throwing ideas around about how we would make a film. I, I worked on a, on a short film, which was kind of like, um, it was kind of a trailer. Uh, a couple of local guys put a trailer together using parts of like a feature length film and they used that as a promo to try and fund the film and I worked on that as a run out it's called The Last Ferry it had Stephen Graham in it and things like that and I was like wow this is amazing this is how you fund a film yeah obviously they had like a huge Stephen Graham's a huge actor they had a few other local actors in it but um so that that inspired me to to take what me and my friend Jamie were writing and try and craft a, a trailer out of the best bits of the script so we went we were shooting a trailer before we shot a movie i see that's interesting isn't it yeah so that was in, in, cool. in kind of the lean startup world of business they would call that a minimum viable product so you I put the, the very smallest thing out there that people can still kind of use and get a sense of what it's going to be and and in your case it was a trailer without a movie yeah i mean that that's it sometimes because i think if we, we really didn't know what we were doing. Um, I mean, I went to uni and studied it, but filmmaking is, you know, I think I, I say to everybody I speak to, the most I learned, I, I learned more making the movie than I did in university, which is no, not to discredit the people who taught me in university. I had some great tutors, but the actual practical side of going and making a movie, you learn 
on a set. Yeah, it so, can't really be taught, can it? All that sort of stuff. You have to you have to do it. That's why I think it's so important that, that people do go out and do it rather than kind of um and ah. And I think this is what I admire about your story and why I wanted to, to have you on the podcast to talk to everyone. Well, that's it. We went into it sort of blind. And I think if we'd have tried to go down a traditional route at the level we were at, it was never even an option to us to go and go, oh, we'll approach Fox with this script. <laughs> you know, like it was that, because that wasn't on the table, um, this this was the only way we could do it, really. And I think that actually, I think there were probably people who could be potentially more experienced than, than we are and have maybe more resources than we had at the time who would shy away from doing what we did. Um, and I don't know whether there are any of them are your listeners or whatever, but... I always say to any filmmaker, you know, definitely, definitely check that avenue out about going and making kind of a trailer or a promo first or taking a scene. I mean, people do do it now. Recently, there was a, uh, the movie Deadpool with Ryan Reynolds, uh, which they, they couldn't get off the ground. And Ryan Reynolds went away with the director and shot a, a scene from it, just a short scene, like a, like a, like a screen test. And that screen test got leaked and leaked i use that lightly because i think it's probably by the creatives and that actually then led fox to make the movie because the fan response was so huge so fox then went well we should make this because everyone loves it so there's an example of it on a of on a massive scale and in your case al what what was the actual value of the promo to you in your in your particular instance uh well it was a it was a three minute promo that we shot for 300 pound so and, and what did that do for you? The fact that you had the promo, what kind of interest did that begin to get? What kind of oh, doors did it begin to open? Ah, uh, right. Um, well, the, the, the promo, the promo didn't serve anything other than okay, we can actually make something that looks fairly polished because I've yeah. not, I've not actually shown you the promo. I have to send you that as a separate thing. But we made, we made that first, and then we went okay, so we can kind of do it, and it gave me an opportunity to meet with people who could potentially be involved in terms of crew because again we were in no position to to hire professional and that's again to to downplay the abilities of the people that worked on the film because they were all really talented people but they weren't of a really high level at that time some of them now have gone on to work i mean the guy who was our first ad peter has gone on to work on you know mr selfridge and he's done a new tv series of snatch and jack's off filming things in different countries he was a guy who I wrangled all the data for us. There's loads of guys who've gone on to do really good things off the back of it. But yeah, um, so it gave us a, a taste of what it was like to work with the crew. And then we then put it on Indiegogo and we raised $16,000, which wow. is about £1,000. And for those who don't know, Indiegogo is a crowdfunding platform, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it was it was back... It was back... You know, I can't remember what it was now because I just... <laughs> I, I, from when we wrote the movie, I actually wrote a short version of the film. In total, there's, there's a short film I made as a university student called I Have a Bad Feeling About This. There's the promo trailer we made called I Have a Bad Feeling About This. And there's the feature-length film that we're discussing now, I Have a Bad Feeling About This as well. And one day, I imagine, if I am successful enough, I will probably remake it again <laughs> with, yeah. with a bigger budget. And more experience, um, or maybe make the movie about how we made it. I don't know, but um... well, I'd like to talk about the writing of it because, uh, see, the the reason why I'm I'm 
I mean, first of all, I really enjoyed the film. I wasn't sure whether it was or not. I, I really didn't expect it, though, to be as high quality as it was. Like, I was laughing before the credits even rolled. Uh, you know, the opening credits, I was already laughing. And there was some real, for me anyway, massive laugh-out-loud moments, which I'll I'll come back to in terms of, you know, how you trust the comedy, etc. But the the reason why I'm so impressed by what you've done as a filmmaker is, you know, I, I, I like to have a bet on the footy of a weekend and stuff. And making a film that's successful in terms of is a really good product, it seems like eight or nine unlikely bets have to come off all at once. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that I want to talk to you about is the first leg of the bet is loads of people say I'm going to write a play or write a screenplay, but very, very few people actually finish it. You know, I remember the Woody um, Woody Allen quote, he says every year the students come in from New York University and says, how do I become a playwright? And he says, write a play because you'll automatically, even if it's not a very good one, you'll be ahead of 90% of the crowd. So what, what I'm interested, first of all, in terms of the writing of it, it sounds like it's been percolating for a while. Um, so I was going to ask you how long it actually did take to write once you, once you decided to do the feature thing. And what kind of... What kind of demons and obstacles did you face in terms of getting it done? Was it kind of um, was it kind of a bit of a war with the script, or did it did it happen with with uh, quite a bit of ease? Um, I'll try and answer your question in a few different segments because uh, the idea for the film was floating around for a while, but we we sort of started thinking about trying to make it as a movie. We just wanted to make a movie. Um, before we really thought, oh, we could make this into a feature film. So uh, the idea to just try and make something came first. And it came from, like you said, those type of quotes. One of them was Kevin Smith, who made Clerks. Um, and I looked at, I listened to I listened to the Nerdist podcast with Chris Hardwick, and I, I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith. Yeah. And they both discussed um, how you should just go out and make things, because like, like you said, you're 90% further ahead, than, or you're further ahead than the other 90% yeah. out there. Um, so Kevin Smith made Clerks in like the early 90s with you know an old steam back editor uh, um, you know so it's like linear linear editing you know shooting on film and cutting in, in, in the video shop in which he worked overnight and I was like Jesus now I can I can edit on a computer yeah I have got it so good yeah <laughs> absolutely the cameras are so small and more so much more cost effective and the lenses are now readily readily available. I've got zero excuse. That was how I sort of felt. And both the podcast, the Nerdist podcast, and Kevin Smith were the two things that made me go, right, well, I need to do something. So uh, the script, like I said, I'd had the idea for a while, but I'd never written a feature film before. And in all honesty, I think there's a lot to be said about naivety, and we were pretty naive going into it. Um I'd like to think I know a little bit more about writing now, <laughs> but I, I really honestly didn't, or I didn't know enough of the technical stuff. I hadn't gone and, um, you know, read up on it really. We studied it a little bit in university, but I'd say most of, most of my writing knowledge came from reading, reading scripts myself 
and and uh, and watching movies and trying to dissect my favorite movies it didn't come from me sitting down re- which i've done since i've sat down read some read some books like i need to know a little bit more about character or you know what is structure you know well I what did of- you find out when you started reading because i've read a load of those books because I've, I've got this kind of fantasy that one day i'll write something but i don't think i really will but i've read a lot of the books around it so things yeah. like um blake Sla- snyder save the cat and you know those kind of books that break the structure down when you read the books did you find as though that you'd inadvertently match the structure that you then later read about in some ways, yeah, I do think you sort of imitate. I think you naturally imitate, and I think you do the same when when you make a film as well. The, 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 that continues throughout the uh, filmmaking process, right through writing, through through shooting, through editing, through acting. If you don't really know what you're doing, but you've got a drive to do it, the chances are. I mean, if you came in, you're going to make a film, and you'd only seen three movies in your life, I think you'd probably <laughs> struggle yeah. to make But if you've seen enough movies... Uh, and you take enough time to plan it, um, and you know your limitations, you, you can do it. But yeah, for me, I just think I was I was imitating a lot of stuff, and it was odd actually looking back at the film after I'd after I'd finished it and I'd started because I'm I'm right I've, I'm on the third draft of another feature film at the moment, and I, I'm kind of like really quite militant about oh that character needs to be doing something, you know, and yeah. I mean there's things and there's things in the script that I'm quite. You know, I am quite embarrassed about now. I look back on particularly some of the female characters. I, I underwrote them really badly. And again, that's that sort of unintentional pre-programmed misogyny that's in all <laughs> movies. That's in all movies, though. All movies, a lot of women are under underwritten in movies. And, yeah, you know, that's you true. Know, have, um, there's a there's a there's a writing term, manic pixie dream girl, which is kind of a, a female character who will put all of her love interests um, interests ahead of hers. Yeah. And we kind of wrote that. We kind of did that, which, I mean, I don't feel too bad about it because I'm aware of it now. And so many movies do it. So many movies play up to it. So now I'm, I'm, I'm taking that into consideration with everything I write. That's just one example. So how does, like- that, how does that manifest itself? So now, for instance, you're writing something and you've got this consciousness that you want to actually create female characters that are, are more kind of, you know, realistic and fuller. Go through the process of the character creation. What's what's the kind of difference? How, how do you consciously do that? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I just try to think of... I honestly th- don't think I thought of anybody's... I thought of the, the first script as a big picture, as I knew it went from A to B to C. And then, whereas the new thing I'm writing is about, um, I, I, I kind of went into it with a totally different view. The new thing I'm writing is a horror movie, um, or a, it, it's kind of dressed as a horror movie, but it's actually kind of a little bit like high fidelity or kind of a, 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 a about turning 30. I'm, I'm 29 and I'll probably <laughs> be gonna make it. So I'm kind of like, ah. Um, but yeah, so I'm trying to answer this question as best I can. I guess um, I wanted that anxiety for every single character. And I also tried to play with the roles because I do think there tends to be, as a man, you tend to write male characters and then you tend to write a female love interest. In the new thing I'm writing, the, 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 the relationship between the two characters is very complicated. And I've, I've tried to avoid a happy ending for the two of them. It is kind of about a relationship, but it, I've tried to look at it 
from both perspectives, which was kind of difficult uh, for me. And I also I also went through a breakup as I was writing it, so I wrote it a little bit about that breakup and yeah. tried like both tried to be empathetic to the feelings of my my ex partner, who you know was obviously she seemed quite upset about the fact we were breaking up too. Um, so I wanted to try and. I just, I just was really con. Like I said, I just became conscious of it afterwards, and I just made sure. I, I don't know. I don't know whether I had a deliberate process of trying to. Well, I, I, it just sort of happened naturally as I wrote it that I was a, because I was aware of it, and I became aware aware of it. But also, I don't think I became aware, or I don't think I was too aware of um, character arcs. Um, and it, it's weird. I've sort of gone this kind of. <laughs> like full circle with it now because to start with this new script i was writing i was writing everybody a detailed arc everybody had a, an arc and so, then I, so what do you mean by an arc like everybody had to sort of come to a, a come to a come to a point in the story where they'd had some sort of change right so they'd gone on a journey and it's there'd been a turning point and the character had learned something um and i always find that's quite important in movies there are movies that don't have it and I, and I and I like an example would be Man of Steel. Like I don't feel that character learns anything. And so I I wrote kind of an ensemble. I mean, it's not an ensemble, but it has a it hasn't has a, a big cast and um or has has lots of characters even. And um I've, I've given them all something. And now I've dialed it back because I'm like, okay, the leads need something, and everyone needs something to do in every scene to an extent. Um, but. I've tried to I've tried to dial it back a little bit. I went a bit crazy to start with, and it became like it would have been a three-hour horror movie about like about turning thirty. So I'm, yeah. I'm just curious, actually, just on a on a little tangent. You talked about um, writing about a relationship while your own relationship was breaking up, and so you were you were writing. It was just after. It was just after. But you're saying yeah. that you you you're writing sort of empathically from your ex partner's point of view. Was that? Was that healing, or was that a difficult thing to do? Uh, I found it quite healing. Yeah, I, uh, it was because everything I'd read was like put it into. Uh, I think I've got this sort of setting where I'm at when I'm at when I'm at. God, I can't even speak. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm at a certain point of like despair in my life, I tend to be the most productive. It's yeah. like I've got this fail safe which I panic about relying on, but I've got this sort of fail-safe where if I get to a point where I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm at rock bottom, I don't think I've ever really been at rock bottom, but if I feel like I'm getting there, I've got this sort of alarm that goes off and goes, do something, and yeah. it tends to just be something creative. And so it was this script which I'd had on the back burner for so long, um, and I just sort of... I wanted to write... So the new, the new film is like i said is, is a horror comedy um kind of shown the dead do you know it's funny you should say that because uh, when i was i was describing um the film after i'd seen it i did feel as though it had kind of like a simon Pegg quality to it you know the the yeah. film that we're talking about it's just called i have a bad feeling about this it, it kind of i don't know whether you take that as a compliment or not but i meant I it do. as such i do I, to be honest um we were we were kind of like I grew up watching Simon Pegg. I was I was the perfect age for Space. I, I yeah. just started secondary school, and Space was Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright's TV show. And um, it was the first time, whilst being ridiculed for being nerdy, because back back in those days, it's it, it's only recently <laughs> become cool to be nerdy. <laughs> and back in those days, you get you, know, you get stick for you know liking still collecting Star Wars toys. And I was watching this fully grown man 
who is probably the age I am now. Yeah. With toys and, and talking about Star Wars and talking about the Death Star and, and but being an, trying to be an adult. And it's actually odd that my life is very similar <laughs> to what that show was. So, yeah, myself and a lot of my friends sort of became friends off of, off of our love for that, really. And, yeah, so Simon Pegg, I think, has been hugely influential because I I like the um, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright put a different spin on it like Shaun the Dead for example is a horror movie but again it's a it's a romantic comedy as well but we've tried to one-up that with the new feature uh, which is kind of a romantic comedy but it's also kind of tragic as well it's a it's about a break-up um but anyway that's the other film yeah (laughs) (laughs) but coming back to the first one again like uh, you're talking about like uh, well you mentioned you're on your third draft of this this new one how many yeah. drafts did you kind of go through, and at what point you know, you know, now's the time to stop fiddling with it. Now's the time that I'm going to leave it and just accept that it's done. Um, again, it was hard to tell because we were we were so new to it, and we didn't again we didn't really know what we were doing in that respect. It did you have any outside support at all, like dramaturgy, or was it you just had to kind of make those judgments yourselves? It was it was, it was mostly called by us. We we did give it to. I was interning in a company at the time who who are quite um, quite big filmmakers, and I I gave it to them really late, and they gave, came back with all these notes. So you should change this, change this, and I was in no position yeah. at the time with a crew waiting to shoot the film. So <laughs> I tried to change what I could, but one of them was right. I mean, it just goes to show, actually, one of the notes was right, the character of Esteban out the script. And for those that haven't seen it, Esteban, I think, is one of the most successful things in the script. He's you know, kind of... I loved Esteban. I thought yeah. I thought Esteban was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you didn't take their advice because he was so funny. He's a caricature, really, but he's <laughs> my friend kind of does that sort of caricature all the time. So I felt it was okay because it, my friend does that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's how who he is. Kind of, if we went out on a night out, we'd have a few drinks, and that Esteban would come out. Esteban <laughs> would be who he is. Um, so yeah, so that was one of the notes we got. So uh, you know, you've got to kind of. I think I would. I think I've developed a bit more of an instinct for that now as well. It's it, part of it's going with your gut, and part of it's listening as well. And then, then you have to try and. I think the magic happens when you kind of find that balance between the two but unfortunately in that position we in that situation sorry we were um we weren't in a position to change anything um but in terms in terms of the comedy of it one of the things i was curious about because with film i mean you write it don't you and there's just there's kind of you or you and any other writers and then you put it on its feet and and but there's no kind of audience and like even the best stand-ups i i often listen to the comedians comedian podcast and things like that but even the best stand-ups like Stuart Lee, they road test their material in front of an audience, and the audience, by laughing or not laughing, will tell them whether it's funny or not. Well, how did you, how did you get to the point where you trusted the funny? Because it's a funny film. Well, we like I said, I'd made a short film in university that, again, it's it's so small scale, but class of like ten were like, oh that's funny, that's a really good script. And, and I look back, it wasn't. <laughs> it, was, it was dreadful, <laughs> the, the student one. But people like that, so that I was like, okay. Um, and then then we did a read-through. Uh, actually, we, we did we did the trailer before we did the read-through. We did the trailer. And I just sort of, I had faith in what I'd written there. And the trailer yeah. act, act was really successful. I'm really proud of the, the first trailer we made. Um, and then we, then we did a read-through with the cast. So we got everybody... Um, 
into like a bar in town and we just all kind of sat around and uh and went and went through the script and I, it was difficult for me because I was in it, so it's hard for me to listen. So I got someone to film it as well, and so I could sit back and yeah. watch. And it was nice to see the reactions of uh, the cast. I also invited some of the crew in as well because I, I'll say it on here: I wasn't in a position to pay anyone. I didn't get paid either, uh, yeah. and there was never, we made a non-for-profit company. We never set out to make money off it because I, I felt that there was no way that we could ask for that amount of money. And then make money off it because that I just felt that was I personally felt that was wrong at the time. Um, so we set it up as non for profit. It was purely to say that I was a part of making that film, and and that 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 doesn't just mean the crew. That means the people that backed it as well. Yeah. Um, so I invited the crew there as kind of like because some of them were like, well, what what is how do I know if this is going to be any good? So <laughs> come, yeah. come come and see the read through or I've got some snippets of the read through to show you. And we got to where we got Paul because uh, Paul Duckworth, who I yeah, worked who's with a famous a... Liverpool actor, isn't he? I mean, some yeah. people listen to this overseas now, but Paul Duckworth is one of those like local actors who is always working. He's very, very good. Paul. Yeah. He's done it. He's done, you know, a fair bit of film and television as yeah. well. And he's, he does a lot of uh, local theater stuff, um, but he's, he's really funny. And um, he is. He's yeah. He was. He, I was a runner on a couple of films with him, and then I then had to go. He he must have just seen me as the runner, I guess. You know, the guy that was bringing people tea and coffee, and I had to give him a call, and I got his number off a call sheet. <laughs> and I was like, "Hi, remember me? I'm making a film. The tea boy's making a film, and um, would you would you be interested in in getting involved?" And he, and he said, "Yeah." And the same the same sort of story happened. A similar story happened with Neil, really. Yeah, this uh, is Neil Fitzmorris, isn't it? Who, of course, has been in you know Peep Show, and he was in uh, Phoenix Nights, two massive British comedies. So yeah, he again was just we we got we got those actors by sort of. I mean, I don't think I actually said to Paul um, on the read through because I didn't think he I didn't think he was convinced to start with. He was like, "Who is this guy making a film? <laughs> this is going to happen." And he was very 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 lovely about it. He said, "Yeah," and he came to the read through. And um, I remember at the beginning of the read-through, uh, he got his change back from... I haven't explained the, the, what the film's even about, have I? We'll do that at the end. Um, but he got his change back, and his change had a, a little R2... It was one pound coin with a little R2-D2 sticker on it. Yeah, and this and is it, a Star Wars-related film, isn't it? Which is the relevance, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a film about Star Wars fans. That's what I was saying. We should have said that. I might do a little summary at the end for you if you want to type. <laughs> but... Um, so yeah, I got this. I got this coin, and he said, "Oh, yeah, I'll trade you for one of your pounds, and it can be a lucky pound and everything." Um, and that was all I said to him before the read through. And then he sat down, kind of nervously, with all of these kids because we were kids. We were yeah. like, we were spanning from age eighteen to I think, you know, with the exception of one or two, the oldest members of crew were in their mid twenties. We were we were very young to be doing this. Um, and he was laughing at the, at the gags and laughing at the jokes. And I asked him at the end, I said, so do, so do, do you do you want to do it? He went, yeah, 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 I want to do it, I want to do it. And oh, I was yes. like, oh, God. <laughs> and then that sort of followed on then. So we got we got Lynn Francis as well. Um, we got, um, like I said, Neil Fitzmaurice. John May, who wasn't a, a kind of a, a, a big deal at the time, but John's gone on to do loads of television work now and he's yeah. become local celebrity so and we even got andrew schofield to do a, a really small voice cameo in it he plays a 
a kind of our version of Billy Butler on the radio. Oh, was that it? Andrew Schofield, was it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're brilliant. Yeah. And that was that was cool because my mum is a big fan of the uh, Royal Court shows. Yeah. Recorded all of the ADR in my bedroom. And like one day, like, you know, ding dong, oh, there's Scully. Like, my mum was, <laughs> like, oh. was like really starstruck. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, they're really just, they're really nice people. I think Liverpool's made up of, the, particularly the creatives working within Liverpool, they, they're, they're really down to earth and yeah. they just want to make things too. And I mean, I, I could say that, that that could be the case with lots of cities. I, I like to romanticise this one a little bit, but I, I do think that there's a lot to be said about the actors that came on board and, and all the crew that came on board and helped us really. Lots of people did us favours and, you know, well, didn't I was, have I, to. I was going to talk about the crowdfunding actually. So the fact that you just mentioned that it's a Star Wars film kind of links into the question because you you went out there and you said you raised sixteen thousand dollars. Did you say? I, I was I was curious. Um, do you know when you you were kind of like decided? Well, we'll make this film. Mm. Was the choice of of Star Wars because it's basically about these two Star Wars fans who are trying to get tickets to a special Star Wars showing, isn't it? Basically, is the is the is the is the kind of premise of the tale. Yeah. Was that kind of clever marketing and positioning in terms of if we if we write it about this, there's going to be this really deep niche of of passionate fans, or was that just like a really happy coincidence that when it came to doing it, you thought, you know, thank God we've written this about Star Wars fans and there's loads of them. Uh, a bit of both, really. I'm, well, no, not really. No, it was. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Empire yeah. Strikes Back to me is a perfect film, and it's my all-time favorite movie. Um, and go, we talked about Edgar Wright. The other thing we all bonded on was Star Wars. And yeah. I, I'm to this day a massive Star Wars fan. And like, I, I can't again. I can't remember when we made the film. It's like 2012 or 2015. <laughs> we shot it. But yeah, so the crowdfunding campaign would have been 2012. But the idea came about like 2008 when I was a student. So uh, it's been knocking around for for you know nearly a decade in my head now. Um, but yeah, so I was just a huge Star Wars fan, and George Lucas's one one of his early films was American Graffiti, which is about George Lucas's love of American muscle cars and 50s rock and roll. And so I thought, and it's a proper love letter to that, and it's kind of similar in in, in kind of vibe to our film. So I thought it would be nice if we made a movie about Star Wars in the same way that George Lucas made a movie about American muscle cars and, and 1950s Americana. Um, so that's kind of where that idea came from. And so keep in mind, Star Wars hadn't even been sold to Disney at the time. So Star Wars was kind of, I mean, it's never quiet, Star Wars, but it, it wasn't, it's kind of come back into the zeitgeist again recently with the re- with the movies coming back out and being yeah. rebooted and all that. So um, it wasn't that at the time. It, had, it was still Lucasfilm. Um, so, yeah, so we, so we wrote, it was never a question of, that was just the idea. I wanted to do a love letter to Star Wars, and it made. I always liked I, I, something that similar happened to me. Really, a friend, me and a friend of mine went to go see Star Wars three times. Uh, Revenge of the Sith, the two thousand and five Star, like the, the last one that came out before they redid them more recently. We went to go see that 
three times within 24 hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the idea came from the story. Yeah. Uh, it was like, oh, me, me and this guy, and he, you know, he, he came dressed as kind of his own sort of custom-made Star Wars character, <laughs> lightsaber, which is kind of what the film does. Yeah. I also wanted to go into the fantasy world a little bit because, you know, I think nerdy people live in a, in a sort of fantasy world, and I certainly do all the time. So, yeah, that, that, that's where the idea came from. But then I do definitely think that there was kind of a, a, a few perfect things came together to, to allow it to happen because I don't think if we tried to crowdfund it now, it would happen. I think we could, A, probably be stopped by, by Lucasfilm or Disney, um, and that could still happen. They could still go, well, we don't want you to do this, even though we were very careful to co- only do comment, uh, commentary and pastiche of Star Wars. We don't use any licensed Star Wars material, even the yeah. sound laser swords. We didn't call them lightsabers. Um, yeah, was, that's a good point. You didn't, yeah, yeah. All custom. We, we, don't, we don't even call them laser swords. We just go, what's that? It goes, oh, yeah. and you know what I mean? Like, so we were really careful. We we obviously we we talk about Star Wars, but we only comment on it. Which we did our bit of research, and we thought that was okay. And we've not yeah. had any yet. Um, but yeah, so that might be the first thing that would have stopped us. But also, Indiegogo was in its infancy. Crowdfunding was in its infancy. So we were like, when we put our crowdfunding campaign out there, Kickstarter and GoFundMe and all things like that, they weren't a thing at all. Indiegogo, with the reason we did it in dollars, was because they didn't do it in sterling at the time. Yeah. We ha- so it was so new that people were like, "What's this? Yeah, I'll do that." They're going to make a film using the internet. That sounds that sounds niche and interesting. So that's one element of it. And I also think it helped that it was there was Star Wars for trying to attract people in because we could go to like Star Wars conventions, which was a double whammy for me because I probably would have gone anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we could go to Star Wars conventions and things, and then we could, you know, we could speak to like I got a tweet off Mark Hamill. I wow. believe that happened. You know, Mark <laughs> like, good luck, guys. Keep it up. Well, that was, was worth doing the film for just in itself, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, I was just blown away by that. So, you know, we got, we got, th- actually, Russell Crowe retweet. We got some good tweets. Russell yeah. Crowe. I met Kenny Baker, who sadly passed away last year, but I got to meet Kenny Baker and David Prowse. And, you know, I, I, we, we discussed getting Kenny Baker involved with the project at one point. Unfortunately, our budget wouldn't stretch, but, yeah. you know, yeah, so there were a few things that came from it that I, that I wouldn't have got otherwise. But yeah, to answer your question, because I feel as though I'm not answering your questions. No, yeah, no, I think you have. But go on, what were you going to say in addition? I was just going to say that I just think it was, uh, we didn't go out intentionally to make it because we thought that would be, you know, Star Wars would be really attractive. I think we probably would have tried to make a horror movie first if we'd had the idea for one. It just so happened that we were huge Star Wars nerds and it made sense for us to 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 make it and then it then it helped us in hindsight i can look back and say oh god if we had made a horror movie we probably wouldn't have raised the money because i think star having it linked to star wars helped and the timing helped as well so what are you going to do in terms of this next one if you haven't got this kind of cult following and, and there's more competition on things like kickstarter and indiegogo what would your approach be once you've written this um horror comedy <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. Um, there's certain things I can't really discuss. Okay. No, I, I can say around about the certain things that possible possible 
um, routes we could take at this stage. I can't really talk about them, but uh, I would like to go down a more traditional route and try and fund an independent film based off the script down a more sort of, okay, we'll go to a few funding bodies and see if we can fund it. Because I think horror tends to get made that way quite... I say so, you, so tell like, me what the traditional. I mean, I'm in I'm in the music business, really. So I I don't really understand um, how you know the background of film and stuff. So when you talk about a traditional route, what does that kind of look like? Uh, well, you know, I'm kind of navigating it myself uh, because it's kind of there isn't really a traditional route, even though I've just said that. I mean, it's not, nothing's traditional. Everyone does it a little bit differently, but to try and go through a studio and get a studio to try and get financial backing from whether it be big, big money backers through tax breaks and things like that, or you can go and get money from BFI or you can get money from, you know, certain companies that want to put some, something towards a film and get it made. Uh, there's not, not BFI, sorry. Um, or Creative England and things like that. There are routes you can take to try and get a movie made. I don't think we would go down. I think we would have to go to a guy who's a little bit more in the know uh, than we are and see if he would help us try and get the film made. But he, I know, I know this particular person's got a few got a few projects made. So we're going to see if, uh, if 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 that can happen um, and we can get some help. But it, it's basically I would the way I want to do it next is shop the script around. So basically cold call because I'm not represented by an agent or anything because the yeah. film didn't get a traditional distribution and we, we only got it in a couple of festivals. Um, so I, my plan is to try and take it to what contacts I know and try and say, is there interest in this? You know, can we try and get this made? Um, and that, that's, that's my current plan. I might also make a promo like we did with the trailer, but instead of putting it on Indiegogo, try and you know try and uh, use it as part of the, the selling tool to try and get the, the film made. Um, so I don't think crowdfunding's for us, again, partly because we've, we've exhausted, I think, people's spare change. And in some cases, it wasn't spare change. There were a yeah. lot of big things as well. Um so, and I, I wouldn't want to do that again, in all honesty, because I think everyone was so generous. And, uh, did you overshoot I, I think, your target last time? Because you said sixteen thousand dollars. What what were you kind of? What did you need? Did you did you need more than that, and had to cut back your your project, or or did it kind of overshoot and surprise you? Right, you'll have to give me a minute because I'll try and remember this because it's, <laughs> it's, it's a tricky one. Because this we is the numbers bit in Dragons Den. <laughs> yeah, because. <laughs> <laughs> this calculic it's like it's no, but um i think we asked we initially planned because sixteen thousand dollars is about 10 grand and we worked out a 10 grand budget we could do it for 10 grand um and we went to indiegogo and if i remember rightly there was two ways you could do it you could do a short-term campaign so you had 30 days to raise your money and if you didn't raise your money within 30 days you would get all the money would be refunded back to yeah. the people that put the money in or you could do an extended campaign where you could raise whatever you want uh and if you didn't reach a target you kept the money anyway but indiegogo took a bigger cut if you didn't reach the target whereas if you reach the target on the 30-day one indiegogo took a smaller cut and for me i thought i wouldn't know what to do if i didn't get all the money there wasn't a plan for getting half of the money and i honestly felt we were asking for so little as it uh, so little in terms of film 
because that's the catering budget on some films um, or maybe for a catering budget for a week on some film. So in terms of film money, we were asking for, for, a, for a little bit uh, of money, but um, there wasn't a, there wasn't much of a plan for, um, for getting only half. So we went for the 30 day campaign and the first one we did, we didn't reach the target. We got about $8,000 and we were like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. this is, that's the end of it. Um, and the, the weird thing was right to the very end, we were gaining momentum. We were starting to build it up. So I was like, all right, uh, why don't we send an email to all the people that backed it and say, we'll do another 30 day campaign and see if they'll, if they'll, they'll redonate. Yeah. They see there's some jeopardy in it. Now they see that it does end and it might not work. Um, and we were right. Everybody backed it. Some people backed twice what they backed last time. Wow. Um, so it helped you fail in the first time, didn't it, really? It helped us learning a little bit about how Indiegogo... Also, the great thing was, within that window of time of us failing the first campaign, we took like a week off because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's emotionally grueling running a crowd. <laughs> but we took a week off, and during that time, Indiegogo changed the rules, and we got like an extended amount of time to run the... Th- I think it was like an extra... I think it was like 50 days you could run the campaign for, and that helped as well. Yeah. So... Um. Yeah, we we ended up doing it on the second one, and we we over we asked for a little bit less as well. I think we asked for fourteen thousand dollars. So the first one we asked for sixteen thousand dollars, we got eight. The second one we asked for fourteen thousand dollars and got sixteen thousand. Wow! So um, yeah, it worked out great in the end. It worked out good. Now I noticed on the film credits you actually directed the film, Al, as well. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you a couple of things around that. I mean, first of all, for the for those who aren't you know, on a film set, what, what does a director of a film actually do? Because you're the star, you're the writer, and you're the director as well. So what what do you actually do in that situation? <laughs> just a massive narcissist, aren't I? It's just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just like, you look at that, you go, oh, that guy's an idiot. Uh, well, I, I view it as a massive talent, really, you know, because it's quite remarkable. It's your first film and you wrote it, you you acted in it. You did a great job as an actor, I thought as well, and you've directed it. I'm I'm never really sure, you know, what what that would entail as a as an as an actor director. I mean, are you like the project manager, or do you just get to kind of take care of, you know, directing what the the scene looks like and the shoot looks like? I think I was. Well, to answer the first part of your question, what a director is meant to do is direct the action and and di- direct what takes place in front of the camera. So direct works with the actors and works yeah. with the camera team, the lighting team to create the film and the look and the feel of the film. That is in definition what a director does. So you had a vision in your head of all that? Like, had you storyboarded that out or? Storyboarded it all and I, I screened, I, I, um, I did like shot lists and things. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't always, you don't always stick to them, but I had them with me. I, I'm, I'm like I said, probably at some point, I'm, I'm dyslexic, so I'm way more visual than I am. So my shot list was more for everybody else because my my drawings not great either. So, but I, I knew what they were. Yeah. So I had like really crap sort of stickman drawings, and I knew that was okay because I know Scorsese did them for Taxi Driver with like stickmen. So I was like, that's fine. It doesn't have to look like the ones Ridley Scott did for Alien. <laughs> These are like really elaborate because he's from like an advertising background, but stick men are fine too. Yeah. So I did stick men and I just sort of knew how I, how I, how I, how I do that. And again, a lot of it sometimes like for the lightsaber fight at the end, or sorry, the laser sword fight at the end. <laughs> um, I was working with guys who knew films too. 
you know that was yeah. part of it for me. I, 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 we worked it was it was great that and and if and if they didn't know the films that I liked I'd tell them to go and watch the films I liked so my guy the guy that did um my lighting Jeff and and uh, and Ryan who was on camera uh you know I was like watch masses of the universe it's not a great movie but the end <laughs> scene you know it's all black and they do it on the cheap and yeah. they they just they're just lighting the light in the sides and it looks it looks great so we were like masses of the universe <laughs> but um to do all three uh acting writing directing and, and i was producing as well i was yeah. i was i was really fortunate um because i had a co-writer who's on the set all the time jamie uh who was looking over the script and things i had a producer uh laura who is is amazing and you know laura and i are hopefully going to work on the new film as well um she's she's just she's she's just really well organized um I had a first AD, Peter, who is... Is an AD know, an assistant director? Sorry, yeah, an assistant yeah, yeah. director. It's all right. I really enjoy guessing abbreviations. I have done since I was a kid. Um, so I love all that, yeah. You, you keep on saying things like AD and BFI, and I'll dive in with British Film Institute and assistant director and all that. I'm having a whale of a time. <laughs> He's a... Yeah, but he was great. He he was really organised, and you know, just to get, just to show the loyalty. One night, we we shot on a location where we had a generator, and the generator was it was at the King Park. Do you know what? Yeah. By uh, if you're going towards like as if you were driving up towards Brunswick. Yeah. Uh, and we shot we shot there, and we had the King. We had the, uh, the this generator, but we'd hired like bolted up and everything and it was too it was like the size of a car you couldn't get rid of it but peter was like oh i'm really worried about leaving it i'll camp out with it and peter, we, <laughs> we shot at night and he camped out with this uh camped out until the next day with the, wow. with the he said that's just to show i mean, i didn't i was like peter seriously you're gonna make me look bad <laughs> like, you go home you're in it you need to get some sleep i'll stay here so just to show the like the level of dedication we had but yeah a great producer a good cameraman a good AD, a good co-writer, um, a good lighting lighting team, you know, all that sort of stuff is a uh, you can't do it without them. So that that's that's how it that's how I, I managed to get it to work and, and learning to collaborate with people. You know, I don't think you I don't think you can do. I think people might assume that if you do all those jobs that you're a control freak. You think, well, that guy must like I was thinking the joke before how narcissistic, but <laughs> yeah, in fact, it wouldn't work if you were yeah. too much like that because. You couldn't. You you would just be jump. You would you would exhaust yourself to the point of you know death. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't be jumping in and out of a scene and checking the camera. I mean, I was doing that, but you have to have trust in other people that yeah. they can deliver and, uh, as well. So, how I many was, people were in the team? Al? Um, I think it, I, we we tried to limit the crew as often as we could, but it never really happened. I think at most we had thirty members of crew. Uh, for the night shoots, yeah, um, we did two week, we did two week, uh, two weeks of days, and then a week of nights. So all the stuff in the comic book shop, um, there's a scene in a comic book shop in it, and we That's we, right. we, we shot that overnight. We did that. We we blacked out all the windows and shot that overnight, but it's set of a day. And then there's a there's the final uh, part of the film, which is kind of an action sequence. We shot that overnight, um, and we we were shooting. From around five o'clock in the afternoon, we do kind of our, um, you know, our early evening stuff, and then we go right through till ten o'clock in the morning. And our last wow, um, really? So you were doing five in the evening till ten the next morning? Yeah, that was what? the last 
That's we 17 that hours, isn't night. it? We, that, that's a 17-hour solid yeah, shoot. Really <laughs> we did Well, that was only one night that we did that bad. Yeah. That was only one night we did that. Nights before, we were finishing it around like four or five. Um, still fairly late, long, yeah. but all, it's always long shoots because you've got to fit it in. Uh, but that last night was... That last night, basically what happened was... Um, so, for the... For the first part of the last week, we did the interior stuff that we had to shoot overnight, which was, like I said, in the comic book shop. And for the second half, we did the um, the outdoor, the exterior stuff. And on the, so I think it was like three days we spent out, outdoors. And on the second night, we got rained off. Um, and we'd hired a generator, we had all the crew there, and we had only a few days left of the camera. So the reason we shot for that length of time on the last night was because the camera had to go back. In fact, I wow. think we got an extra day for nothing, <laughs> generator company, because yeah. we called them up and was like, this, you know, Peter again saved the day there, he called them up and was like, you know, we, there's any chance we can get an extra day? And they're like, oh, it's fine, and we don't need it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Seriously, you're not going to charge us? Like, no, we're not going to charge you. So they, they didn't charge us for an extra day, which we would have killed us, really, because it was quite expensive to get the generator. And I think we got the camera for an extra day as well. And we that was the only day that really threw us back. But the film, I can tell you a long story about all the things that went wrong, but that was one, you know, there was great instances where the day got saved too as well. But well, yeah. We- I, I'm curious, actually, how, how difficult is it to manage a team of 30 people? Because, you know, this is... This is something that people would really mature into, you know, once they've been in business for years or whatever. I know people who've been in business for years, actually, and, and don't have to manage a team that big. Uh, what was it like? Were you were you the person that if someone had a, any kind of beef or, or problem, that they'd come to you or were they coming to somebody else? Uh, I think it was a mix between me and Laura. And I think in some cases, Peter as well. Um, so what was that like in terms of managing all those people? Was it like herd and cats? Did it go straight forward? Was it a challenge? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it was because everybody was really excited yeah. to be making a film. And again, like I said, we were all quite young and inexperienced. Um, so there, there was definitely definite, definite difficulties with that because uh, a lot of the people I was working with were friends. And uh, you know, it's quite hard to... Sometimes you've got to tell a friend to shut up. <laughs> it's like, it's, that, that is difficult. Yeah. But on the most part, everyone was, was great. There was one particular day, because I'm not a very kind of, I don't really like confrontation. <laughs> um, and I, I'm not that type of guy, but yeah. there was one particular day where I was kind of stressed out and uh, I'd given everyone an extra 10 minutes at lunch. <laughs> and we had this. We had the scene in the, in the park around the corner from where we live, and we didn't have permission to film there. And um, and everyone had been kind of rowdy that day, which is why I thought giving everyone an extra ten minutes might they might get it out of the system, and, and they didn't. Yeah. Uh, I, sorry, I haven't mentioned by the way my sister as well. My sister was kind of my assistant on it, okay. <laughs> my pet assistant, and she also did all the animation work and there's loads there's about 30 visual effects shots in the movie and she you know, did I did I did actually notice that I thought the animation was fantastic and you know I, I actually looked in the credits to see who'd done the animation is her name Alexandra Donahoe is it so she did all that yeah. she, I, I felt I had to mention her because she was I'm saying if who were the main people who were making things work Alex was basically supplying my brain with an extra few terabytes of hard drive that i couldn't have like <laughs> she's used to it her big stupid brother but yeah she she was great she was 
amazing to help. And my family as well, really supportive. So what's uh, her background? Because they were real top-notch animation clips in there. Well, she's a, she's like me. She's a total beginner, really. She did it in You're university. Joking. She's just really talented. Wow. Yeah, she's really talented. Yeah, she's and she, she worked her ass off on that and she hated me for a while why did you make why did you write this <laughs> like why does the car have to fly it's like you know, do you have that many characters in it she also designed the poster for the film as well oh that's she, a good poster yeah yeah anyway, anyway i need i need closure on this um, on this lunchtime anecdote oh sorry yeah i mean what we <laughs> i could spend hours on this podcast mate um yeah so I gave them an extra extra 10 minutes and I then sent them all to the park, which is around the corner from where we live. The location base of the film was my house. That's yeah. another story itself. But I sent them all to the park and then we loaded up the vehicles and we were just, we didn't have vans. We were just using cars and filling cars with, with kit and things. And we had quite a bit of kit. And when I got to the park, I was expecting, you know, the crew because everybody kind of muscled in together because it was the only way it could work on a traditional film set. You know, you, there's not, not a chance in hell a sound guy would be picking up a, a, a box or something like that's not my job. That sort of attitude is, is, is what goes on a film set. But yeah. um, on, on, the, on the case of this, there was so much kit. I basically was like, guys, we were all going to just chip in to get this made. It was a proper guerrilla filmmaking. But we got there and there was no one there. And the only, the only two that were there was my sister, Laura, uh, a, a girl called Lauren, who was one of the camera assistants, and George, one of our runners. And I was like... Jesus Christ! Right, where is everyone? <laughs> and um, Peter, and it wasn't again. Peter it wasn't Peter's fault. Peter was trying to rally people together and was busy. And with the with the camera team, actually Ryan and Peter were were, were sorting the camera because it was quite a difficult shot. It was a steady cam shot. Everybody else on the crew, after having an extra ten minutes, had gone and got themselves an ice cream. <laughs> it's like right, that's it. And I just went. I hit the roof. And I've never done it in my life. And I, I think probably people think I'm a bit of a dick now. I like, <laughs> in all honesty, there was never a problem after that then. And Alex always goes, oh, I was made up and you did that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I, I've never done that in my life. So it was part, there was part uh, um, exhilaration from it, but also part like, God, what? I don't think I could be a manager because I just feel like a massive dickhead after doing it. <laughs> I, thankfully, everybody, everybody I, I, think, I think it got to a point where people were having maybe a little bit too much fun. And yeah, whole thing to say because I'm a strong advocate of fun. But um, I know exactly what you mean, though. Like, remember, this is a serious endeavor as well. I, my, my, the, I think I remember saying to them, "I was like, I could just give you the card with all the money on the people have given to us, and we could just spend that on ice cream." Do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> <laughs> I was very angry. And, Calm down, Al. It's only ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone looked dead sad. And I was like, so, well, like, so like, how, did that, how did that feel for you to break character if you're not you know i'm, I'm guessing right because i'm a bit like you but when i you know i'll kind of hold things in but it will take you know the final straw for me to be able to find my voice so is that is yeah. that a bit how you are i suppose i think so yeah so it, you'd had niggles going on where you you, you felt a bit uncomfortable going <laughs> through and then the ice creams were like the the final thing that blew you yeah, there definitely been a few instances where people weren't concentrating, but at the same time, and I've got to say this, yeah, you know, everybody was on the most part brilliant on it, and everybody was doing it out of the goodness of their heart. So yeah. there was a 
there was a there was a limit to how far I could go with that. You know, if they wanted to, they could just leave. But then at the same time, you could look at that the other way and go, do it. You may as well. You know. So yeah. Um, on the most part, we had we had we had a really good crew, and 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 we had some really testing. Uh, like I said, that last night where we got the second to the last night we got rained off, and and the last night where we were going to run out of time with the camera, I just saw some like really heroic sort of um, really sort of heroic moments from, from from the crew and the cast, and very limited complaints and. At least, and maybe they were all behind my back. But, uh, on the most part, <laughs> they were terrified but, of you by then. I'll. Yeah, they're all hiding the strawberry yeah, movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I can't I can't speak badly of it, of anyone really. Everyone everyone really. Uh, it does sound heroic, actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm curious what you'd do differently next time. You know, because you you. And I don't just mean next time in terms of some of the the financial things that you're talking about, but I guess I mean if you were in, if you were in that situation or where you're kind of doing everything yourself and everyone's kind of mucking in, or in fact anyone listening who's thinking, you know, I've always wanted to make a film and and this inspires me because it makes me realise that it's possible. What advice would you give to those people who are starting out the first time round? Um. Well, I'll answer the first bit first because uh, yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. Um, <laughs> things I would do differently, I would crew down definitely. You would say uh, like that I again. Said, sorry, you would you would pair the crew down. I, I would reduce the crew. Yeah, I would reduce the because we had, like I said, we had we had thirty at some points, and and what was I problematic was about that? Why would you why would you make it less? Um, because I think at, at times it, it, that's when that's when it was like oh we're making a film happen and when people don't have anything to do or people yeah. are waiting around and uh, I mean it, it was quite an ambitious film for a, for an independent film like there's a few there's a fair few difficult sort of set pieces in the movie night shoots and car chases and so yeah I would if I was going to make a film like that again, and I don't know whether I would go straight for that again, if you I'll answer that question in a minute, but yeah, I think, uh, I think I would reduce the crew and I think I would. By how much? I mean, how many, what, what's to, your ideal optimal crew size? Well, just to the bare minimum that you'd need for the shoes. So, I mean, there were, there were times when we had like four or five runners and I was like, we don't, we don't need that many people here. Or, you know, I, I had a, I had a couple of, guys who were just kind of doing odd jobs and they were very helpful but i i kind of look back at that and go okay well that's just a body that we could do without you know what i mean to make yeah. more space and make people just it can people can lose focus when they're in a you know it's a room full of people and it did sort of have a party a party vibe to it you know it was it was organized chaos at times yeah um so that's one thing i would i would do differently um and i would i would I would measure my limitations a little bit um, and I'd sort of, you know, like I said, the car chase, I would, I probably would try and write that differently, you know, because um, that was really hard to shoot or night shoots and things like that. I'd go, okay, put your, uh, I have a vision aside and, 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 and shoot it of a day because it's easier to shoot for a day. You know, I, there were just things that. Actually, I, yeah, give, give us a little list of that. If, let's say I'm about to, I'm not, but let's say I'm about to make a film and 
you've you've been there and done it now and there's bound to be people listening who are on this kind of um route and have this kind of dream give a list of of things that you you need to not shoot need to not put in the film because they're just too hard really and will be a massive ball like well i would I, first off i would never want to like totally say that you shouldn't put something in a film because you can always find a way to do something and yeah. in some ways i was out was, again naivety came in and i was like you know, don't shoot on a busy street. And I was like, I'm going to shoot on a busy street. Like I had that sort of attitude, and, yeah. and in some cases it works. But you need to be, you need to know how to make that work, and to need to know how much work goes into doing that uh, at, at beyond the film. So, for example, the busy, the busy street one is a is a good one to to look at because, okay, first of all, it's hard because you've not got you're not blocked off a street. You've not, you can't block it off with, you know, you can't get the council to intervene because you don't have the money to do it. And you'd have to go to the, the, um, Liverpool or something like that to try and, to try and close a street for a film. Yeah. And they want to be paid. So we just did it without permission. And the way we did it was we put two guys in high-vis jackets. No one messes with anyone in high-vis jacket. And, um, put two guys in high-vis jackets (laughs) and, um, and we shot on the street. And in some cases, people didn't cross us. And sometimes you get people coming past, beeping the horn or winding the window down. Hey, lad, you're making a bluey. And, you know, we, we shot one scene outside Forbidden Planet and uh, sorry, Worlds Apart in town. And uh, it's, you know, there's buses and lorries and things going past. It's really, really loud. Um, so, that's one so it's difficult to shoot in that respect and then you've got to replace the audio um which is a huge deal uh you know that costs money as well and we didn't have the money to do it so we had to do it in a gorilla way again and we had to record it in my bedroom and we were very lucky to find a find a guy john meller who was capable of doing all that because we had a few problems with sound that's a whole other podcast yeah but uh, had quite a few problems with sound so that's so i don't want to say there's a list of things you can't do because I, I like to think the sky is the limit, really. You know, um, and that's the benefit of naivety, isn't it? Really, I, I agree with you. Going in, kind of with you, you know, wet behind the ears is a is a big benefit. I remember my first album, for instance, and um, you know, people take a long time, don't they, to do an album? But I, I hired a recording studio for one day, and I had ten songs to do. Yeah. My, in my mind, is I was thinking, well. There are, it's only like three minutes a song. This is going to take half an hour. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's more to it than that, isn't there, when you actually get into the, the thing of it? Did you get In fact, what happened with me is that my, my drummer, because it was me, a bass player called Rob, and a drummer called Tom, and we had it from 10 till 10, 12 hours, and Tom didn't turn up because his girlfriend was ill or something until four. So we actually did the whole album in six hours, including the mixing. Which again, uh, beforehand, I wouldn't have thought that was a problem. I realise now how how nutty that was, but it, <laughs> it came out fine, you know. And and I, th- I think naive sometimes having a bit too much knowledge stops you from doing the thing. Yeah, it does. I think if I knew what I know now, I might not go and I might not go and make the movie. Yeah. I might. That's I mean. I'm saying it to you now. I am saying I want to go down the traditional route. So yeah, I do. I, I agree with that completely. So I, I think to give a list of things not to do, the list that you would be given from seasoned filmmakers would be: don't shoot overnight. You know, 
uh, just limit your, your set pieces. Don't shoot on busy streets. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we, we, I would be a hypocrite if I said that because we did do all that. So what's the difficulty with night? Is it just um, lighting and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah adds extra cost. We, we shot out. We shot an exterior shoot of a night, which yeah. is kind of as difficult as it comes um, in a place where there was no electricity. So we had to hire a generator. Right. So we really just it was just like one thing after another, really, and uh, that that would be a no no. That was a way we could have saved money, but the end result, you know, if you're trying to make your film look as though it was made for more than 10 grand do that you know you know what i mean but yeah. no but but don't go into it going oh okay well that guy did it i'll just do it it's not that simple you've got to kind of everything was quite you know we were kind of, like i said it was organized chaos but there was a great deal of planning that went into it too and we we, we definitely tried <laughs> to, to to make sure that we covered all cover you know covered everything so we, we wouldn't slip up at some point and like the, the night shoot we were just unlucky with the english weather really yeah mm. well you, you see you can see why you know as i look as an outsider this looks like about nine or ten bets coming up at once because when you take it through the amount of you know you've got the actual finishing the script making sure it's a good script getting everyone together getting the money um, you know all the logistics of actually ensuring that the film is put together right, and and to end up with a film as good as this is because it genuinely, you know, I'm not even a great film buff. You know, I get fed up with films and switch them off. I was <laughs> genuinely, um, you know, the whole way through. At no point was I bored. I genuinely enjoyed it. And if I'd have if I'd have seen this at the pictures, you know, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have batted an eyelid at all. It didn't strike me as an amateur thing in any way whatsoever, and it was really really funny and enjoyable. I think you're right. What you're saying about the bets, I think it's like a mirror. I, I, Colin Hanks, uh, Tom Hanks, and I listened to a podcast with it where he was talking about making a project, and he said making a movie is a miracle. Yeah, you know, it doesn't rain. Everyone shows up on time. The camera works. There's so many things that can go wrong. So yeah, we were very. Uh, there's two ways of looking at it. You know, there were. And, and it's hard to explain to outsiders as well, particularly people who backed it, who you know haven't got a tangible DVD yet. That was one of our perks was a DVD, and yeah. it's the last thing that we haven't sent out. Yeah, uh, and it's because I'm I'm working kind of on my own on on the the features for it now. But yeah, there's you know the the film took um, about two years after we shot it to even go on go on to a cinema screen or be put into a festival because we we had huge problems with sound so the way the way things that could have stopped it and in, in some ways i think i am quite proud of myself and, and the guys that continue to work on it in that respect because i think some projects might have died at that point but um i don't think there was any real option for me to give up when the sound we had sound problems because i was like well you know, I owe it to all those people that put yeah. money into. You know, there's not. I, I've got too much of a guilty conscience to just abandon it now and say, "Oh well, it didn't work." So we had to find somebody to fix the sound, and we had to get all the actors back to re-record certain scenes and certain audio. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, a lot of it came together as well. Obviously, it's a certain degree of it has to come together because you wouldn't have a film <laughs> at the end of it otherwise. Well, what's what's kind of like what's the end game for for you personally now? Because I mean, I look at that, and you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a creative myself, and I I make stuff, and but I think I think a lot of the stuff that 
I mean, I'm going back to this because this is what I always say to um, other people who, no matter what kind of um, creative field that they're in, if they're artists, I always, you know, you've got a very a very common thing that happens in music where you get especially younger artists who they're not making records because they're trying to get signed. And I always say, you know, forget the gatekeepers, you know, just, just kind of do it. But mm-hmm. I always accept um exc rather i always i always exclude filmmaking from that because it it kind of seems like the one creative art form where you you almost do need that outside level of support because it's so expensive so when when i look at your achievements here which is why i wanted to talk to you it just seems like a phenomenal business card that someone in their mid 20s at the time could write a film have the film really be a, a good script, put all of this stuff together with no kind of professional support and make this happen. So I'm, I'm thinking, why aren't people kind of grabbing your hands off? And, and what is what is the route in which you actually do this for a living? Because having seen the film, and I'm not just kind of buttering you up or anything like that, I think it would have been damn impressive even if it was a mediocre film, but the fact that it's such a good, enjoyable, funny film as well that captured my attention the whole way through. You know, how how do you get paid for this when you're this good at what you do? And and this dedicated as well, and you've got this proven track record that you will make it happen. Um answers on a postcard. Uh no. <laughs> so, so what what do you what do you do? What what is the route into into you being paid as a filmmaker? I, I honestly, the honest, the honest answer is I'm having a bit of a, a dilemma with it really at the moment. Yeah. Uh, um, because I made the movie, and it, though I, I'm not as big a fan of it as you are, because <laughs> <laughs> obviously I made it and there was never going to. Of happen. course, yeah, yeah. But I, I honestly felt that we would have had a little bit more success, and I and I and I, I do sort of wonder. Did we do something wrong in the way that we that we promoted it, or did we do something wrong when we submitted to the festivals? Um, I think on a technical level, um, it, it isn't it isn't quite there. And I think to some people, it's, I'm not going to try and uh, bite the hand that feeds me. But when it comes to like the film industry, it it can be quite snobby, and there is a kind of like you know the, the, the that attitude I think is there. And I think in some cases, I've shown it to people. And they've sort of been like, "All right, yeah, you did that. So what? That's an that's an attitude I've had quite a few times, which was been, it's been quite disheartening. Um, it's not, absolutely not, baffling, really, because it's not right across the board, but in some yeah. cases, you know. Um, and I think that, and I can I can kind of back that up because we didn't get in that that many festivals. I think we only got into like two quite small festivals, really. Um, and I think it's just people. Are so caught up on 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 the technical aspects of things that they sort of uh, they sort of ignore. You know, I think I think if I could sit down and explain the story like I have to you, a couple of guys when I made a film, yeah, for nothing, maybe people would look at it a little bit differently. Um, so to try and make money off it, I, I really don't know. Once once I've got the um, once I've got all of the features for the DVD made, I'm going to send a DVD to people. I'm going to put the film online for anybody to see. Yeah. And I don't think I'm going to ask for money for it because I, well, we're non-for-profit anyway. The only way we, the only money, if we did ever get money from it, it would go back into a company to make another project. Yeah. That 
really the, the, the thinking if we ever made money. Um, so, yeah, I would like to put it online and, I, and I'd hope that maybe someone would see it and go, oh, okay, well, that's what you did when you were that age and you've made it now, so let's see what happens further down the line. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think, unfortunately, that, that this industry, because it deals with such large amounts of money, is, is they're very scared to give projects to people like myself um regardless of what we've done i think there's a there's a there's a fear and particularly in this country particularly in this country you know independent independent cinema does happen but it you know something like that wouldn't have got funding through creative england because it didn't you know it was just pulpy fun and i think that's got a place i think oh, yeah much as the, I am, I'm a huge, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge Ken Loach fan. I'm a big fan of Ken Loach and Shane Meadows, and I love those stories. Then those movies they get funded, and I'm made up that those movies get made. But at the same time, that shouldn't mean that the type of film that I'm making, you know, about two guys trying to get tickets to see Star Wars, it, you know, that shouldn't be made. You know, that, that of course it should be made because people need the escapism. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, that's just my sort of my sort of view on the current current climate and also because movies aren't making the same amount of money as they used to and the whole sort of way that we watch movies is changing so we sort of made it a weird time um it's really difficult to explain and i can't quite make sense of it either um and i've beat myself up about it quite a lot but i'm i'm, I'm hoping that we'll write something I've, I've written something else and we'll maybe make a promo for it i'm also going to make a try and make a short this year as well yeah hoping once i've got those two projects made um or something to show those two projects i can then use i have a feeling about this as my calling card to say look i've already made a feature yeah i've a screenplay for another feature film. I've also got the short film and I've got a promo for the film that I've written. So I'm going in fully armed and I'm absolutely, <laughs> if they still get taken away then, then I'll, I'll just, uh, I'm a postman at the moment. Maybe I'll just uh, do that. But no, I, 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 I don't know. Is, is, is my honest answer. It's, um, we went into it. Like I said, I keep going back to naivety. We were totally naive and totally blind going into it. And although we planned every step of the way, there was never a, I didn't really think about, I think when you're making a movie as well, I, I don't think you can really think about what happens at the end. You know, you're just thinking about getting the next part of the film made, yeah. and, you know, in the sound working and getting the visuals working and getting it on DVD. You know, when a, when a festival says, oh, do you do, um, you know, a digital cinema package, which is what, you know, years ago, the, the film used to be put on like a reel and sent to a cinema. Now they, they had to be made into this, this specialized data disc that's sent to cinemas because everything's digital and that costs a few thousand to do. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm not even going to think about that. (laughs) I don't know how to do that. I don't know where we'll get the money. So that's kind of, so maybe, maybe I didn't think enough about what the, what the plan was beyond that, because we didn't think in all honesty, we didn't think we'd get the script finished. So everything beyond that point was a surprise. It was a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. And so to get the film finished was a, was a total surprise. So maybe it's a, a mixture of me being maybe a little bit unlucky with it. And maybe it's a mixture. And when I say unlucky, I don't mean about making the film because a lot of what made the film happen, like we've discussed, was luck. Um, but I think a little bit unlucky with my timing when the film was finished and a little bit of maybe we were just too naive and didn't think that far ahead. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know is the answer. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck with it because honestly, you, you're a huge talent. I was I was genuinely pleasantly surprised just by how good this was and how you know I've said it a number of times. It was genuinely funny. It's a film that I would recommend to friends. Um, so I can't I can't give it any higher compliment than that. Um, it would be really awkward if you'd hated it. <laughs> well, do you know what? You sent it to me, and I did think I th- I thought you know what if I don't like this film, and then I'll I'll see Al, and I'm gonna have to kind of you know choose my adjectives carefully. But thank thanks to you, and thanks to how good the film is, I didn't have any of that problem. I would genuinely recommend this to a friend. It's a it's a great film. I thought it really. Uh, Really funny. I laughed out loud even before the credits were were rolling at the interaction between your character and the mother character. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was great. So I wish you the best of luck with it, and it's been a real pleasure to um, talk to you about the whole process of of getting this particular miracle made. And like you say, every film is a miracle. I think, given the lack of professional support and the fact that you had such determination and insistence that, that the thing got made, I think this is even more miraculous. And the fact that it's turned out so wonderful is uh, the best thing of all. Oh, cheers. I will, uh, when it's online, and it will be online eventually, um, I'll let you know and maybe you can post it on wherever yeah. you post it. Yeah, I, def- <laughs> I definitely will. I'll be a big advocate for it. And uh, thanks very much for, um, for coming onto the podcast to talk about it. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. So a big thanks there to Alan Donahoe for sharing his experiences of going through that remarkable effort and remarkable achievement of actually putting out a feature film no less and a really really good one too now if you look in the show notes then if anyone wants to contact alan and have him work on a project or talk to him collaborate give him some money for his his next project or whatever it happens to be then all of that is there in the show notes and so too is a link to the trailer for that film as well now if you want to go to the show notes simply go to alanparry.com remember that alan is spelled with a u a l u m and at alanparry.com you'll be able to get the show notes for this episode all of my blog posts and all of the past episodes of the alan parry podcast as well so thanks for listening and i will see you on the next one